Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my book surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter. When, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door. Perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled, this ungainly fowl, to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. And the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters, it is only stock and store caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. 
But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing, to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy god hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite, and nempeth from my memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, Prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted on this desert land, enchanted on this home by horror haunted. Tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden who the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm J. Michael Tatum. And this <laughs> School Intentions. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Edgar, for that submission. <laughs> You should think about doing that professionally, man. Mm. Um, yeah, my friends say I have a good voice. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I met Edgar. Oh, oh, yeah. No, Edgar. you should. Um, yeah, you should. Send like, us in some more stuff, you man. You should start. Yeah, you should start like a magazine or something. Yeah. Just don't like. Uh, don't have meetings with your publisher. <laughs> just like, just be like, why don't you come to me? <laughs> Relative of yours too, I believe. Um, yeah, that's yeah. favoritism. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> you know, if you want to get to, um, if you if you want to get read on this <laughs> podcast, you, you better you have gotta, been related to yeah, one of us. You got to be point. family. That's right. Um, that's a lot of family. We have a lot of family. Hey, do you oh, want to say God. today's title? Oh yeah, today's title. Today's mm -hmm. title is more weight. Mm -hmm. It's also from one. the Crucible. Also from the Crucible. All, and also uh, apparently from the historic record. Like yes. it's it's a well-known um 
legend, which may or may not be true, but it certainly it, it appertains to something that did actually happen. But we'll get into that. But yeah, it's because we're talking, and it's it appertains to Salem because we're still talking about Salem today. Back in Salem this week. Back in Salem. That's, uh, Giles Corey, of course. Now mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. Giles Corey died of pressing, which we'll pressing. get into later because he was accused of witchcraft or being associated with they witches. Put so many nails and on him. They nails. Press- yeah, Lee press on nails. Oh, and then <laughs> like, you mean you mean stones? Yeah, um, I do. I yeah. mean stones. But basically, he was slowly crushed to death over a period of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and more weight is what he's his uh, last words. His last words, because he was seventy-one year old badass. Right. Was he seventy-one or eighty-one? I can't remember. He's old. He was an old guy. Seventy-one. He was old for the sixteen hundreds. Yeah, sure. he was like ancient for that. He was four thousand. Yeah, he was like <laughs> Methuselah. That's right. That's right. Um, um, but yeah. But yeah, crazy. he. Uh, yeah, we'll talk and about when, him a little bit and the yeah. guy that supposedly threw the final stone on. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so we're talking about Salem again today uh, because we last week we talked a lot about the history of a witchcraft lot. leading up to the Salem witch trials. And then Jamie took us through all the horrible specific specifics of witches. We read such a long poem. You and don't have to say words correctly anymore. I know. You did a great job. I know. What they can't, what they, I'm glad what they didn't hear as your, as, your is, semen is slip? My, is my semen slip. <laughs> I slipped on semen right there in the second to last, no, the last stanza. I almost made it through the whole thing and it just slipped right on semen. Story of my fucking life, can I just say. So funny. We we laughed. I couldn't, we we had to take a break. Yeah. Just to get back on track because you can't read a poem. You can't break character when you're doing an Edgar Allan Poe poem. And I was like, Oh, so what? Broke. Let's actually let's talk for a moment since we got some space to fill here. Um, um, what do you what do you think about when you when you read the Raven or when you because it's well, it's a great poem. It's one of my favorites. And everyone all, knows it's great. It's like the premier goth kid poem. Right. Like you're almost. It's almost like if 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 goth kids were the scouts, that would be their creed. Right. Um. So, first of all, I wasn't really a goth kid. I just wasn't into. So much black eyeliner. It's a lot of cleanup. Oh, man, I was. I was so... In, and it yeah. is a lot of cleanup, though, yeah. but you're right. They didn't have those little all my eye makeup remover pads, which are the shit, for the record. Yeah. Um, they God, didn't if have only those, those had been then. around. Or if they did, I didn't know about the it. Game. You would have changed the game. So you're saying you would have been a goth kid if those had been around? Probably not. No? No. Nah, probably not. You would have uh, been an honorary goth, though. You don't have to dress the part to be goth. Oh, okay. Goth is a state of mind. It's a lifestyle. Choice. I mean, I really like I still consider craft. myself goth. Don't and get I me don't, wrong. I don't look goth. <laughs> then there you go. I liked it. You're in. I've always liked the witchy, haunty stuff. Look, to goth kids, you're either a goth or you're a Debbie. And you're definitely not a Debbie. I might have been in high school. At least people thought I was a Debbie. Nah. Some people did. Some people did. Those people. Some were people were wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for me, first of all, it was very difficult to not shout "Nevermore." Um, <laughs> there was a real, lo- uh, never real "Nevermore." Yeah, and you'd just be, you'd read it and blah, blah you know, the, the music and butter that is your voice. Oh, quote boy. the Raven, and then me just come in and go "Nevermore." Like read a read a line just right up to it. Just oh, uh, give uh, us a little. Uh, um, t- uh, oh God, hang on. Uh, let me find it. Where'd it go? <laughs> I used to be able to memorize. I'm I used to have the, it all from memory, but when spot. I'm on the spot, I'm like, fuck, where'd it go? Hang on, let's just give a thing. Just so that Bring people can experience. What it's like. Okay, let's do it again. Prophet, said I, thing of evil. Prophet, sir. Prophet, still of bird or devil. Whether tempest sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted on this desert land. Enchanted on this home by horror haunted. Tell me truly, I implore. Is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. 
quoth Raven. Nevermore. See. <laughs> I, I slipped on to... semen around like all his his and the line was and his eyes have all the semen <laughs> of a demon that is dreaming. Which I mean, you know, maybe that's seeming. What you, maybe yeah. Not semen. Seeming. 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 Not semen. You said semen again. But yeah, I was trying to I was trying to let them know sure. what I meant by slipping on semen. Otherwise, they're gonna think that I literally <laughs> slipped on semen. And um, I only slipped on semen vocally. Yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> I am a professional, and I have never actually slipped on semen <laughs> in my life. So yeah, um, I mean, it's I been always... an occupational hazard, but I haven't actually done it. That's right. That's right. I always think of um, in that poem because it's always his relationships are usually at the foundation. Sad relationships. Yeah, and death and and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it always makes me wonder about Lenore. Always makes me think. I mean, I think the, I think the the Raven is a symbol for nothingness and the fear that there is no reuniting with the dead. That yeah, she's gone forever. There's no heaven. There's no hell. This is it. It's just a. But and, also, and the Raven is like reality, going. Sorry, this right. is it. And this she is gone. The, the rational part of me is like Edgar. Maybe uh, stop talking to the bird. Might be the best option for you in this moment. But. <laughs> you just run from everything, don't you? <laughs> you won't go to cemetery at night. You avoid woods. You won't I talk to a raven. If a raven flew in here and started talking with you, you would. This you is would... what I would say, Michael. <laughs> and I'd be you like, God over. damn it, you're not supposed to know. <laughs> You know how much I paid for this spell? Or I would just let you talk to them is what I was saying. <laughs> you get to talk to the raven. Oh, see, in that, I thought you I, yeah. I thought you were saying that you would assume if a raven came here and started talking that it Absolutely would be not. me. I would think that. <laughs> me in raven form. You're like, I would think there was more weird podcast shit happening and then I would make you talk to the raven. Because, and I would talk to the raven and the raven would just. talking to a raven. <laughs> the raven would start, never more, never more. And by the time I yeah. like laid into it and like started talking for like three hours about, you know, anarcho-syndicalism or, or whatever philosophical thing I was really into, the fucking. <laughs> he'd never look at, he'd never look more at me. would turn into like, I'm out. Yeah, right. He'd look at me and I'd be like, never more, motherfucker. <laughs> and then <laughs> he'd be like, more, mother bye. <laughs> um, peace. Oh, but, but I love that imagery. I've always, yeah, I've always loved so Poe. He's very dark, but you know, um, dark and so I, a little, a little known fact. I, I have a passion for detective fiction. I always have, especially classical mm-hmm. detective fiction. And Edgar Allan Poe invented the genre, right? With his detective Auguste Dupin, the or Dupin, uh, who was the famous eccentric amateur detective mm. who solved the mystery of the murders of the Rue Morgue. Oh. And and I know a lot of people can't get into Poe's writing style because it. it as, as one writer puts it, fairly creaks under the weight of of his very not as very dated usages of just very um, dated grammatical constructs because he was very flowery. But he's also writing at a time similar to Dickens when he had to like you got paid by the word, so it's like you fucking pad that shit because the bills don't know filler. Um, but I think he was really good at it, and he was like was brilliant, and mm-hmm. I think he's still well. He uses repetition really powerfully. I think yeah, especially in his poem, the bells. Mm. And Annabelle Lee and mm-hmm. and and so many like he was he was a fascinating poet. But his his essays, his 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 short fiction, like I think he gets short shrift in the literary academic establishment because he's too popular a writer. Right. But he's actually I think quite brilliant. And yeah. and I've I don't know I've I just I've always have a soft spot for Poe. Yeah. Sometimes I sometimes I get a little cold on him, but somehow this time of year, it's always I always right. find that Poe is there waiting for me. 
sitting yes. on a bust of palace above my chamber door. That's right. And we have we get so many requests for you to read Poe. So we decided that our I Halloween will gift happily do more to you is Yay. It was a pleasure to read. Thank you for letting right. me do that. And again, thank you, Edgar, for that submission. That was good. Love to hear more. Love it. Yeah. We, <laughs> Halloween is Thursday. <laughs> oh my God. It snuck up. I know. Oh my goodness. We're, uh, uh, we're going to be doing our Twitch live stream, which we yeah. talked about in the last episode. Uh, uh, will, candles. Yeah. Most likely at six, but double check our time. We'll have information for you. Yeah. Six-ish. Yeah. So. Yeah. Six uh, central time. Yeah. Central time. So, um, in case that changes, check back with us. Uh, you want to get into it? Let's do. All right. Get to the haunts of Salem now. Salem, part D. <laughs> so, part Dukes. Part Dukes. <laughs> um, <laughs> dose. Part Dose. <laughs> so, my, uh, this time, now, Salem, like Charleston, Makes a lot of money on them witches, on their ghost stories. Well, yeah, it's, on that it's their claim stuff. to fame. It is. So They're making it work for them. You they know, are. They gotta, are. But gotta... much like Charleston, if you Google ghost in Salem, you get a lot of tour companies. Yeah, so Same, same, um, same. We so, didn't did have... you find it was really hard to find like genuine ghost stories? stories? I did. Yeah, but there's a really lot of hard. general there's the, the a lot of general information. So what I am going to do is read you a lot of the general stories, and then we're going to get into in-depth one with Michael. Yes, yes, because yes, I, right. I went but these down the are the fun hole. ones. Okay, uh, I shall not be held accountable <laughs> for their accuracy. Yeah, if you go to these and don't have a ghostly experience, don't blame right. us. Right, but if you do, you better fucking tell us. Uh, yeah. Or if you have any, please tell us. So, okay, hauntedrooms.com, wheretraveler.com, and creepyghoststories.com. <laughs> Oh my God, please do that voice for us. Creepyghoststories.com. Salem is, of course, the location of the witch trials that we discussed in last week's episode. But keep in mind, the city has a long and very interesting hittery, hi- history. Hittery. Hittery. Hitter mystery. And it's a hitter mystery. Um, but it is haunted. I would say it's haunted as fuck. It certainly looks haunted. Right. And we don't know what those ghosts are. We're talking, the witch trials were in 1692. There's mm. a lot of shit that happened since then. Yeah, it's been like 300 plus years. Yes. So apparently there are three very narrow and straight ley lines that connect 90% of the hauntings around Salem. They seem to predict where strange things will happen and are usually correct within a few yards. I do not mm. understand ley lines. I cannot be specific about anything other than what I just read. But I, I thought think, it was cool. I don't know what I don't. It is cool. I think ley lines are supposed to, like these invisible, uh, these invisible lines of spiritual energy. I guess yeah, they that usually the connect. They're, they're kind of like longitude and latitude lines, but they're not exact. They're not that. Um, they're straight, but they're not at right angles to right. You yeah, know, they connect um, usually places of worship and cities would be built yeah. built up along them, and so. In Salem, apparently, there are three it's like that if you, connect to the haunting. If you went, as I understand it, if you went to all these great, like, sacred sites or sites of, of like, ancient stuff mm-hmm. that's, like, just very spiritually charged in the popular imagination and you just played connect the dots, the right. lines would be the ley lines. And it's They're the la, 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 ley lines. Connect the dots, la, 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 ley lines. Yes. secret word is nevermore. Yeah! So, the... That's something, you know, I, I sh- we should probably do something, uh, an episode on ley lines yeah, so we can learn curious. more about it. But, um, you know, some people say it just connects 
the building of cities and that it's just like connect the dots. And some people say that there's a more spiritual mm. side to ley lines. But of course, I don't, I'm not yeah, an expert. Something I'm, about the, I'm no expert. Something about the presence of like the intersection of ley lines like makes sacred sites possible is what right. some people theorize, I believe. Uh, yeah, see, I'm not an expert. If they wanted me to organize ley lines in a basket, I could do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm very organized. Old Gallows Hill is number one. Old Gallows Hill is generally the assumed original site of the hangings. It is now a local part for the youth of Salem, and it's for sports ball games. Yay! Sports ball! So... The thing about the old Gallows Hill is we don't know if it really is the location. They don't know for sure where the real location is, but it's assumed to be. It's like basically some modern person is going around. If I were going to hang a witch. It'd be right here. It'd be right, right here. So they don't know for sure. This is the assumed location. And it has had activity. But whether or not that activity is witches or just like this place is haunted as fuck because for the past 300 plus years, there have been witches coming here to hold witch seances, other people coming here to hold seances, mm -hmm. ghost tours, all kinds of energy begetting energy begetting energy. Right? So True. we don't know what it is, but Could many people- Could all be topas. That's right. That's right. Many people have caught light orbs on their camera and video <laughs> recordings. Creepy mists appear from nowhere and then just vanish like a puff of smoke, as well as weird unexplained noises that can be heard when no one else is there. Some claim that they have even seen a ghostly figure wandering aimlessly over the fields. Ooh. Salem Jail. This jail was built in 1813 next to the site where Giles Corey was stoned to death. Pressed, whatever. Pressed. He, was, Salem, he got Salem. stoned. Salem Jail, interestingly, housed Albert DeSalvo, the notorious Boston Strangler. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Conditions oh. in the jail were so awful that some of the inmates managed to sue the county for poor living conditions. And a few <sighs> years later, the jail was ordered to close, where it remained abandoned for many years. Now, though, this old haunted building was transformed into luxury apartments for the residents of that Salem. Is... That's some serious gentrification right there. I know. Oh, my God. There's even a restaurant built off the jail wing, and the old jail bars remain in their original place as a decorative piece of very morbid history. Oh, my God. Like, literally, there's a corner. I mean, I corner. would go, but still. It... Right. There's a corner with, like, booths, uh -huh. and the corner of the space has jail bars right there. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's reported that you can sometimes hear screams of inmates as you walk through the building. Orbs have been seen moving through corridors, and the sound of rattling chains has been heard. And the ghost of Karen, who always wants to speak to the manager. Karen! Where are those goddamn breadsticks I asked for? <laughs> right? I get that. I get that. <laughs> how, are you, say, how would you like to be a service person working in a jail-themed, or not even themed, it's more like a restaurant-themed jail. In uh, Salem. <laughs> in Salem. Like, at some point, right, you have to be like, this it. is a little, this metaphor is a little too on the nose for my life situation right now. Right, <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking trapped in this job. The, too, like, the people who go t to Salem, a lot of them are looking for some sort of ghostly encounter, spiritual encounter, right. that's going to be really irritating for the people who live in Salem. It's like, oh, no, you're going to be the one person with this great experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's great that there's like paranormal snobs in Salem going, right. oh, sure, you're going to, okay, oh, sure. Oh, yeah, it's going to be you. No, no, tell me all about your experience. I live here, but please tell mm. me. You know. People coming up, it's like, oh, no, my friends tell me I'm very spiritual. <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like the equivalent of people that want to be actors. Right. I'm the sixth <laughs> generation of witches, but please continue telling please, me. Please tell uh, me about that cold spot you felt once on a plane. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, I'm not saying that's how everyone in Salem is. That's how I would be if I lived That's in how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to be specific. Especially so, if I worked in prison. Uh, prison restaurant. The Howard Sweet Street Cemetery. How, it's Howard, not sweet. Howard Sweet Street? Howard Sweet Street Cemetery. It's called the Sweet Spot. Yeah, it is. That's later. That's later. <laughs> Just you wait. It's the G Spot. Like, oh. G for heavens. graves. That was oh, the... Oh, no. I'm sorry. That's we've terrible. Really, oh, Michael. We've fallen apart. No. I blame myself. <laughs> no. Go home. <laughs> when did I become... <laughs> When did I become a dad? I don't know. Oh, God. The Howard Street Cemetery. Mm -hmm. This is the location of Giles Corey's stoning. So it's right next to the haunted jail. Not stoning. You keep saying stoning and it's pressing. They stoning call is when it, I, it, I know, but they're wrong. It's um, pressing. Stoning it's is when you throw pressing. stones at someone and it's much quicker than being pressed. Right. That's true. Still unpleasant. But stoning is like, stoning is from back in Jesus' days, whereas pressing is... It's more modern. It's very Puritan. Stoning. Yeah. yeah um, Uniquely cruel. It's it's like it's like those times, but worse. Um, <laughs> the good old bad days. Do you think that like the ghosts from the pressing and the ghosts from the jail like ever get together for a ghost party? I wonder if ghosts go on living tours. <laughs> Or they'll follow they the ghost tours, through, like, look just, at these assholes. Or they just go and they, like, go and, like, and they have, they have some, like, otherworldly host taking them into, like, look at these people eating <laughs> cheap pasta, you know. Or, <laughs> they think it's home cooked, but really, but really it came from not, a freezer. Or, like, <laughs> or do they do they follow ghost tours and just judge the tour? Like, that's not what fucking happened. He knows that's not some what fucking say, happened. say... Karen, right here, will go into a rage <laughs> over those breadsticks and yell at the manager. If we're lucky tonight, you may capture you one may on your camera. Like, here she like, comes that's now. A, that's a skit. That's like ghost taking right. living tours. Yes. Please. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's do that. Okay. Um, okay. So, it turns out Giles is supposed to haunt this location. Mm. He's been seen just standing in the area looking directly at you and not moving as if to say... <laughs> Don't don't press for luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I'm sorry, Jamie! I'm sorry. Oh, 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 I mean, sorry. you did say more weight. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there was he was clearly a man aware of his predicament, and I it's think true. He, he had to have had a sense of humor about We're it. We're totally going at a different angle this time than last. <laughs> <laughs> I know we need it because. Like, it, was, it was dark. It the, was the real, real dark. The, the true history is really dark and depressing. And it's like, let's have a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> let's have fun with the death part. Let's have fun at the dead's expense. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> either way, it's a cemetery. It's going to have weird energy. So just know that. Go there. Be like, ooh, weird energy. It'll be great. Next, we have the House of the Seven Gables. Ah, Some yeah, will know of the House yeah, with yeah. the Seven Gables as a book written by none other than Nathaniel Hawthorne, <laughs> who also wrote, you know, the one. Uh, 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 Angels and Demons. No. no. Uh, da Vinci Code. No. No. <laughs> the Scarlet the Letter. Scarlet Letter. <laughs> so. <clears throat> I actually love Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. He was a cousin of Susan Ingersoll. Susan lived in the house since she was a girl and died there at the age of 72. <sighs> Nathaniel was also related to John Hawthorne huh? of 
the judges in Salem witch trials fame. Nathaniel was actually John's son. Mm-hmm. He was so ashamed of his father and all that his father did that he added a W to his last name to distance himself from the heritage of the Hawthorne name. Mm. It is, he was very upset. And his father is one of the few, if not the only one, who never. Like never recanted. Never like, recanted. Never was like, sorry, guys. No. He was like, no. He just did it, down. meant it, bye. That's what he did. Um, I think well, that's word for yeah, word. I love that his son is now more famous. <clears throat> that's right. That's and he right. is now for writing one of the best and most empowered female characters mm-hmm. I think ever written in mm-hmm. American letters. See? That's I great. love Hester Pretton. Suck on that, John Hawthorne. Uh, but like, suck on it. Suck else. on that, Gable. <laughs> I'll give you a Gable. You and there's six more it. waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out all the Gables had been taken off by the time she moved in, but... Anyway, and she turned it into a um, museum, I guess, and all mm, of that stuff. Yeah, the yeah, house yeah, is supposed yeah. to be quite haunted. No photographs are allowed to be taken inside the wooden building, so no one has ever been able to capture a picture of one of the ghosts here. But that doesn't mean they haven't been seen, and some have even been sighted from outside the house. Um, apparently, Nathaniel stayed there when he was a kid, and and that's what inspired yeah. the book. Many people say, uh, as I walk past the property, they see the, a glimpse of a female ghost looking out one of the windows. I'm... I would wonder, is it a ghost or is it just a chick looking out the window? I don't know. How do you know? How do you know? Inside, the house employees and visitors all claim to have seen the spirit of Susan walking up and down the corridors in a ghostly haze. And that of a small boy spirit is seen in the attic playing with his toys. Strange noises of banging and dragging are heard from the attic area, as well as the taps turning on by themselves. Next. Oh, so many, so many stops on this tour. I know. The Hawthorne Hotel. Ah. With a W. It's after with Nathaniel, not John, obviously. Yeah. We're going to stay in these Scarlet A suite. That's for, <laughs> yeah. that's for uh, quote, we call them newlyweds? <laughs> Question mark. According to past employees, those that have resided within the walls of the Hawthorne Hotel and the locals, a vast amount uh, of paranormal activity is said to have occurred and is believed to still occur within the structure. Many of the haunted stories seem to surround the captains who were part of the Salem Marine Society prior to their deaths. One of the real ghost stories pertains to a large nautical ship wheel, which is located within the restaurant called Nathaniel's. Many have claimed that the wheel seemingly moves on its own. Seemingly. You know, I'm just picturing it. Semen. I'm just, I'm just picturing the wheel covered with semen now. Yep, I know you are. I feel like I've seen that in a movie. <laughs> when it physically stopped, the or semen. Stopped, <laughs> the semen and the wheel. Make it stop. Make it stop. Uh, it resumes the movement, so the wheel will stop and then keep going. Another popular story (laughs) pertains to the area that is commonly referred to as the lower deck. An employee who was directly responsible for setting up and arranging the room performed his duties one night and briefly left the room. Upon his return, he found that all of his work had been undone and the room was completely rearranged, which is a real bullshit move. This experience is said to have (laughs) frightened the employee to the point where he requested to be removed from all night shifts thereafter. Because I mean, that's a thing. I mean, I would be like, if I, yeah, if that were my job. Do you think, though, it's like it's scary or just like, I don't want to have to do this shit twice? I think, well, probably a little bit of both. A little both. bit of both. Column A, column B. Column B. I, I think, but yeah, it's like, fuck, I just cleaned up in here. Uh huh. 
Man, yeah, it'd be irritating. Rude ghosts. Haunted rooms include rooms in uh, 325 and 612. The spiritual oh. entities that are believed to haunt room 325 are suspected to be those of past guests. There have been reports of the lights turning on and off with no explanation. The same hold, same hold true for water faucets within the room. While lying on the bed, guests have reported experiencing an extreme level of cold. Many have reported feeling as if they've been touched while trying to sleep. Additionally, many have reported hearing a disembodied cry of a child that seems to be searching for its mother. Hmm. In room 612, many have observed a ghostly female apparition believed to be that of Bridget Bishop, who really gets around in her afterlife. The smell of apples can be exceptionally strong in the room and throughout the structure. Many connect this to Bishop because she owned an apple orchard located in the spot, supposedly, where the Hawthorne Hotel sits. And I read a review from somebody who sat in that, who slept in the hotel. Yeah. And they said that the only thing that happened to them was they went to sleep and it's in like hotel reviews or something like that. It's great. <laughs> it's a Yelp or something. Uh, yeah, and then the and then the hotel like thanks them for their review, but um, <laughs> they like the hotel in general. It's a nice hotel. Most of the reviews are positive, but um, they heard a really loud bang. They turn on the lights. Nobody's in the room. It sounded like maybe somebody had come through the door, but there was nothing there. There was nobody in the hall, and the only way they could recreate the sound, which I love that they recreated it, was to slam the metal lock on the door really hard oh yeah yeah, yeah. like the, the 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 top not the latch but the little but the um, privacy lock yeah part yeah. yeah yeah so they slammed that apparently really hard and that's how they could oh. come close to recreating the sound but the lock was still locked when they turned on the lights Ooh. so that was good i like that and that's that's let's a- go to that hotel okay that sounds very really cool i love little boutique hotels like that i do too it's fun it, it it's great someone described it as like uh it wasn't the most positive review, but they called it like a kitschy LA hotel. And I was like, sounds fucking great. Like it's like I musty love, and like lots of fabric. I was like, yes, I bring like, it. I love the idea of the ghost experience being in a review on Yelp because now, it, now I understand it's the one review that justifies the name of the goddamn site. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hotels that make you go, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, why is um, it called Yelp? Yeah, right. Never understood that. Uh, the old Burning Point Cemetery. Ah, uh, yes. So that is also known as Charter Street Cemetery and happens to be home to a fair amount of spooks and specters. There are rows upon rows of old headstones, many of which have been damaged or are too worn out to make the names and inscriptions clear. Mm-hmm. However, one of the people that is known to have been laid to rest here is known locally as the Hanging Judge, a.k.a. Hawthorne. Oh, that yes. fucker. His spirit, along with others buried here, is said to be captured on film occasionally if people stop by after dark to photograph the old graves. Some of the residents of houses around the cemetery also claim that the spirits will say it will sometimes stray into their homes as well. Like, oh, sorry, I just yeah. uh, unexpected sorry. parties. Yeah, what you watching over. there? Right. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, then we have Murphy's. So then at the back ah, corner yes. of old, of the old Burying Point Cemetery is a Murphy's, which is a haunted bar and restaurant. Yeah. And that fucking sounds like my jam. I would, I'd haunt it. Right? Give me food, give me drink and a ghost. Fucking yes. So Sold. ready. <laughs> Let there be like an MMA fight on the, <laughs> <laughs> We've on done the that television before. we're good. <laughs> um, it's very fun to watch us watch an MMA fight. We're like, I don't know what's happening, but it's, I know, but it's, it's very it's, sexual. <laughs> you don't really need to know what's going on. You're like, oh, wow, it's. 
<laughs> yeah. All right then. It's like Whew. sex, only there's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas normally there should be multiple winners. A number of people, <laughs> fact, both customers and staff, claim to have seen a Victorian lady in a powder blue dress, accompanied by a boy in a picnic basket. <laughs> in a picnic basket. <laughs> we got another bitch in blue. This we haven't oh, heard of it one, one of those in a while. Murphy's was previously called Roosevelt's, or as my grandmother would call it, Roosevelt. 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 She was very, very Very fancy. Very received pronunciation. Very Mm -hmm. transatlantic. Roosevelt. Yeah, from Oklahoma. And the owner at the time. (laughs) So, okay, it was called Roosevelt's, Roosevelt's, whatever. And the owner at the time also had his own experience with this female apparition. He apparently came face to face with her when he was working alone after the bar, in the bar after closing time. There are also records that show a small coffin believed to have been a child once broke through the wall of the restaurant, <gasps> suggesting rather strongly that some graves were built over when the property was constructed. Oopsie ghost. ghost. Um, you know, we know that usually it's not going to go over well. The, is it Lyceum? I mean, I don't like it. I don't Lyceum? Lyceum? Lyceum or Lyceum? Lyceum. I've always said Lyceum, but okay. I could be wrong. Um, well, it's now known as Turner's Seafood. Oh, well, just that. Most people know it as the other thing. <laughs> oh, Notables. my God, seafood. And it's haunted. I'm there. It's hold. Where's the alcohol? Yes. Notables such as Nathaniel Hawthorne, Thoreau, Emerson, and Alexander Graham Bell once spoke here. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's where Bell first revealed his plans for the telephone. Sweet. Little, see, lots of history. The property is haunted by a bitch in white. Yes. Love it. No haunted city would be complete without one or seven. A woman (laughs) in a long white period style dress has been seen by numerous people, most often floating above the main staircase. Her image has also been seen in windows and mirrors throughout the building. The location used to be, um, so this is, oh, this location used to be owned by Bridget Bishop as well. Possibly. Mm. This is why I'm like, eh, I don't know if it really was. She gets a lot of credit for haunting a lot of things. Um, <laughs> maybe it's where she lived. I'm The Could original be. location where she lived. But they assume that she's the bitch in white. And there have also been a few other spirits hanging around. Um, and reports of apparitions, light anomalies, and electrical malfunctions. Ooh. Yeah. Then... Danvers State Hospital. This is obviously going to be haunted because it's a state hospital. <laughs> it's on top of Hawthorne Hill, and it is a former psychiatric facility. Oh, yeah. Again. Haunted, haunted as fuck. <laughs> the immense building sits on the grounds of what was once the home of Jonathan Hawthorne. Numerous people have shared stories of and sightings of apparitions bearing a striking resemblance to the judge. Of course, they're like, let's put the people who have mental disease over where he lived because he had also mental disease. It was called assholery. There are many reports of the cruel and experimental treatments forced upon patients residing at the hospital. Patients who died on the grounds, walk corridors, uh, and the exterior of the building in spirit form, apparently searching for something they have yet to find. Hmm. Um, That's sad. That makes me sad. I know. And it's so common with any kind of inmate situation. Well, I think they were often treated so badly. Mm-hmm. They were let, sent there to be forgotten about. Yeah. And the saddest part is that John Hawthorne wasn't left in one. So <laughs> the witch house the is witch also known house, yeah. as the Jonathan Corwin house. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and Judge George Corwin lived there. And as we all know, he was a piece of shit. Yes. To remind you, he was one of the ones who investigated the claims with Judge Hawthorne. We can definitely point our fingers at him flagrantly and say, fuck that dude. The witch house is actually, is, and this is what I read, it's the only building in Salem proper that's still standing that has direct ties to the 62 trials. So there's a lot of buildings that were built over locations. Yeah. Um, or there's well, cause most foundations. Of the, in those days, most of the houses were built from wood, which yeah. just doesn't yeah. last or there, as long. There might be buildings that are outside of the town proper or something. But yeah, maybe. That's what I read. Again. I I don't stand by it. (laughs) The house is now a seasonal museum open to the public and is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Salem. The paranormal activity reported here includes, but is not limited to, cold spots, people being touched, and the disembodied voice of a little child. Children, it's a very big thing with the... Creepy. Um, Then we have what I refer to as ye old red light district. Um, (laughs) That's where you could go to show the ankle. That's right. You know, play cards. After the witch trials, local taverns became a hotbed of illegal naughtiness. So it was like, oh, let's go kill all the outspoken women. But hey, how about we all merrily go a whoring? It's like, let's kill all the outspoken women. Oh, that's not where. Let's tell you what. Let's put them all in one portion of town and, and then make fuck them, them scratch out for a living yeah either way by, they're just trying to fuck women one way or another God, uh no judgment know, to the women just no to be clear I'm respect judging. in fact exactly. you gotta do what you gotta you, do I suppose. i'm judging the men so the strip of businesses across the house uh across from the house of seven gables including witch's brew cafe and in a pig's eye restaurant serviced the sailors and captains visiting the city's thriving seaport and the seamen, I think is what they call this. <laughs> this story is just dripping with seamen. It sure is. Um, so, uh, what have we done? I, I I'm not proud. So, okay. Um, Derby Street turned into a red light with brothels and underground tunnels. The story goes that sea captains from Derby Wharf would use the tunnels for discretion and also to kidnap young men partaking in the revelry. That would be ye old getting shanghaied. <laughs> Salem's waterfront area is allegedly teeming with the spirits of Salem's maritime past, ranging from ghostly pirates mysteriously emerging from the water yeah. to the disembodied voices of not children, but salty sea captains. Oh. Yeah. Salty seamen. Salty seamen. <laughs> Someone had Diet-based decision. Uh, <laughs> moving on. You're going to love this one, Michael. Oh, God, yes. Wicked good books. Oh, I already love it. Salem-based lawyer Denise Kent opened Wicked Good Books in the spot formerly occupied by Derby Square Bookstore's Mile High Stacks. And books are flying off the shelves. Ooh, literally. literally. (laughs) (laughs) When Kent started renovations last June, um, which in a June at some point, I don't remember when this was written. She was, uh, or when I took this from, she was approached by locals asking, is this the haunted bookstore? Kent reached out to New England Ghost Project investigator Ron Kolick, who searched for paranormal activity in mysterious tunnels beneath the shop uncovered during the construction work. There's convincing evidence of possibly desecrated human remains beneath the building. Apparently, the underground tunnel system connected to an underground warehouse in Derby Square. These are the Mm, the, the Shanghai tunnels. And it's um, also where two runaway slaves are believed to be entombed. Oh. Yes. So that is the wicked, wicked good books. Oh, God, I, I know. Love a good old bookstore. No, Cinema Salem. 
According to Peter Horn, assistant manager of independent movie theater Cinema Salem, personalities from the theater's past still linger. We've had psychics, ghost hunters, and paranormal investigators inside, he says. Multiple co-workers have had experiences here. Horn insists a former manager spotted a man dressed in black sitting in theater number three while he was upstairs in the projection booth. There was no movie playing, Horn recalls. So he ran down to kick him out, but the man disappeared. He looked middle-aged, wearing coattails. His clothing was from the Victorian era. And last but not least, we have the best title of any business ever. Oh, oh God, yes. I love it. I love it. This is a liquor store. Uh Uh-huh. And it's called Bunghole Liquors. <laughs> How am I not supposed to think of semen? Like, I know. Everything is conspiring of to draw my thoughts back to the thing. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. So Derby Street, Bunghole Liquors. Name. It, it used to be a funeral home. Uh, <laughs> I hope. I hope the funeral home was not called Bunghole Liquors. <laughs> Well, it is. Uh, the Bunghole family is really into this. Yeah, exceptional service. <laughs> um, uh, exceptional and, and uh, unnecessary, Grandpa really. Joe was smiling <laughs> in his casket in a way he never did in life. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, Jesus, take oh, the wheel of this podcast. <laughs> Jesus um, heard us talk about the other wheel. He wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> Nathaniel's wheel. Nathaniel, take the wheel. Um, Okay, so... Nathaniel already did. During the Prohibition era, though, downstairs was where the drama was happening. Locals would gather next to the parlors, embalming equipment, and guzzle illegal booze. Today, assistant manager Brandon O'Shea asserts that there are spirits cohabitating with the liquor store spirits. Spirits, spirits, you got it. This place is definitely haunted, he says, offering that he believes there's a spectral kitty and a female residual that roams behind the wine racks of this historic packed lounge. I mean... It has a ghost cat. It's a ghost cat. Who doesn't love ghost pussy? <laughs> Maybe the only and, pussy some people know. Well. Um, I just, I also love that there's a ghost just still looking for the perfect Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> just like, God damn it. It's like, just get some vodka and move on. <laughs> So, so many. Those are the. That's a so summary haunted spots. of the well-known hauntings in Salem. It's a lot. It's a lot of. Spots. That's a lot. That's a lot. But I just thought like, we could. I could research a couple, or I could just tell them all, and then we can tell them revisit all. I like them that. later. Tell them all yeah, because it gives yeah. us. Because yeah, we don't want to. Because uh, I'm going to focus on one. The Joshua yes. Ward House yes. is mine, and um, yeah, this one is going to be a little bit of an actually just yes. spoiler. So. Um, the Joshua Ward House. Let me let me start by by kind of telling uh, the most famous incident that the Joshua Ward House is known for. So in the '80s, specifically 1984, the home, which was the first brick, one of the first brick homes built in Massachusetts, incidentally, it was built in uh, 1784 by a guy named Joshua Ward. It was a, a merchant sea captain, a sea captain who's very rich, built this house. Uh, on the side of some very unpleasant things, which we'll get to in a second. But mm. in 1984, it uh, was owned by a place called Carlson Realty. They were using it as an office. And the story goes that one of the employees was taking pictures of everyone, the staff there, 
um, the realtor staff to take uh, taking Polaroids of them to hang these Polaroids in a Christmas wreath for the office, right? Mm -hmm. And he took a picture, this guy, of one as of a female colleague. And when the picture developed a few moments later, uh, what should have been the image of his female colleague was completely uh, supplanted by the image of this really hazy, kind of hideous looking, uh, distorted face woman in black. Like with, a witch? Like, kind of like a witch. It's certainly, I mean, mm. it, it certainly fits the description of what we think of as a witch. Uh, and her it. hair was like wild and fiery. Yeah, that's it. Okay, like, like it. it's really creepy. And it's but very, it's, 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 it's a, electrical. It looks like she's been shacked. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a creepy ass photo. It looks, the entity looks completely solid. And uh, apparently this yeah. photo made the rounds and became rather famous. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll get back to that. Let's talk about the home itself and what else it's known for. Now, as I said, among the first brick homes erected in Massachusetts and named for the wealthy sea merchant who had it built back in 1784, the stately Joshua Ward House offers little indication of the site's rather evil history. The house's bones, so to speak, comprise what was once the home of George Corwin, the, one of the biggest rat bastards to emerge out of the 17th yeah. century uh, Salem Witch Trials. As High Sheriff of Essex during the Salem Witch Trials, Corwin's job entailed uh, issuing arrest warrants for those accused. He also uh, was said to arrange for their torture and execution. He also had to escort them to their hanging. Mm -hmm. uh, da, da, da. He apparently choosing the hanging sites for no less than 19 of the victims and personally crushing one to death under a pile of stones. Uh, apparently this fucker really enjoyed his job and he was born appropriately enough in February of 1666. Corn rose to political power in Salem largely through the machinations of his maternal grandfather, John Winthrop, the younger governor of Connecticut. Uh, Bartholomew uh, Jedney, a high-ranking magistrate up to his neck in the witch hunt hysteria, just so happened to be Corwin's father-in-law. So Corwin apparently lived to extract confessions from people accused of witchcraft, and it's said that he would use his cellar to torture the confessions out of some of them when mm -hmm. he was like, I want to take them away from the jail uh, where I can kind of in private coerce them. Uh, because he didn't like, some people didn't approve of his methods. So he was like, well, I'll just work around and bring them home to his cellar. That was the story. Mm -hmm. And apparently he he kind of got a, a reputation. He was called the Strangler because he one of his methods was to tie these people, mostly women, up. Uh, he would tie them, he would tie their uh, necks and their wrists so tightly, not enough to strangle them outright, but so tightly that uh, apparently blood would seep from their nose before it was all over and done with. Oh, no. And so um, one of the persons accused, we've talked about a little bit uh, in the last episode, and this one, a guy named Giles Corey uh, was accused for reasons we went into last time, but he refused to plead one way or the other. Right, once, which he, he, once thought, he stopped. Yeah, yeah, once he stopped. Playing he, the game. Yeah, once he, he, he said, he, they asked for a plea, and I guess he thought uh, that that would stymie his trial, that they couldn't put him on trial unless he had a formal plea. It's that, and they also thought that he felt like he was going to be convicted anyway because his wife was already convicted, exactly. and he also had a lot of guilt for testifying against her. Yes. So he wasn't replying because it didn't matter what his plea was. He was going to be found guilty anyway. Right. But they and couldn't They couldn't move forward with the trial until he made a plea. Right. So apparently uh, Corwin devised this this particularly awful method of extracting a plea from him uh, just so they could proceed with the trial. He had a pit dug 
not very far from his house, uh, apparently, and uh, uh, Giles was thrown into it. This is a 71-year-old man, by the way, mm -hmm. and uh, a big heavy board was placed on top of him, and stones were like heavy, heavy stones were placed on top of it over a period of days and more stones would be bad, uh, added. Apparently, uh, some accounts say that the the weight was so dreadful that there were people around to stick his tongue back in his mouth because oh, it would wow. just, it would squeeze out of his mouth because uh. he couldn't, you know, close his mouth. I mean, it was awful. And apparently for days, every day, Corwin would personally at, lean, lean down and ask him, you know, are you ready to plea? And Giles refused to play. He just, he wouldn't say anything. And right as it got to the point, the final day where they're like, yeah, this is going to be the day he dies. He's clearly not going to make, he's not going to survive. At that um, point, he'd probably received so much, so much internal damage. From I mean, yeah, he anyways. was probably already internally bleeding or yeah. whatnot. So apparently the story goes, and it's, it's apocryphal. We don't know if it's really true, but it's a good story. Uh, all the same, Corbin leaned down to him and asked, you know, um, how do you plea? And when he refused... Uh, uh, Corey was like, you know, uh, he just, he didn't say anything. So Corwin said, you know, well, do you have any last words then? And apparently Giles said more weight, mm -hmm. add more weight. And in a rage, Corwin took the last stone himself and slammed it on top of the board, which just crushed the man to death. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, interestingly enough. Was used, of course, in the crucible, which is. Right, We've right. It's a great line. That was like an hour ago, so. <laughs> that was way long. That was last week. What are you talking about? Which <laughs> No, we talked um, at the beginning of this episode. We did. We did. <laughs> uh, it's also. It's the title. <laughs> it's also. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck. I'm sorry. I've got. My brain is just filled with semen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, what was I going to say? So, um, apparently, another legend had it that uh, Giles, Corey, cursed Corwin as he mm -hmm. died. And uh, and apparently the curse worked to the minds of some people because at age 30, uh, Corwin dropped out of a heart attack on the instant. Like, just walking down the street, dead of a right. heart attack. And he was otherwise pretty healthy. But, I mean, of course, what passed for health back then? Who knew what was going on? Right. No one I mean, knew what a heart condition looked now, like. So. But, um, so here's, but here's the interesting thing. So... After his death, Corwin's body couldn't be buried in a proper cemetery. One of the victims of the witch hysteria, a guy by the name of Philip English, whose property had been confiscated by Corwin during uh, his period of imprisonment, got his revenge, it's said, by putting a lien on Corwin's body. Essentially, the remains could not be interred until English was reimbursed for the trouble. Not buying, uh, not burying George Corwin in the graveyard struck Corwin's family as a good idea at the time anyway, because he was so hated by then that his family feared that someone was bound to dig him up and desecrate the body. So they stored, it is said, his putrefying remains in the cellar until the debt to Philip English was sorted out and arrangements could be made to inter him discreetly. Now, though Corwin was eventually given proper burial, rumors persist to this day that his remains, well, remain in the cellar. Uh, at any rate, his ghost is said to still roam the halls. Salem's own Spellbound Tours, where a lot of this information comes from, thank you very much, held its first paranormal investigation in the Joshua Ward House, as it turns out. Now, there was an investigator uh, who we'll call Mary, well, they call her Mary, so we'll call her that too. That's reason to and call she her Mary. she was teamed up with. Let's a, call her Mary because that might be her name. <laughs> and and she was she was <laughs> she was teamed up with a fellow investigator who was the kind of the skeptic of the group named Robert. And apparently, the story goes, 
that they they went in to kind of kind of do preliminary, do a little reconnaissance to figure out how they were going to do, I guess, a lock-in. And so they were taking pictures. They separated, and this was the middle of the day. And apparently, uh, you know, Mary, uh, they were supposed to meet back up in the parlor, and you know, uh, her partner didn't show up. So she asked the staff that were there, you know, have you seen him? And they're like, oh, we haven't seen him since he went down to the basement because he'd gone down to the basement earlier. And apparently, so she went down. And Robert was in a state. He was writhing on the floor, uh, quote, barely alive, struggling to breathe. Um, Mary wrangled him into a sitting position, uh, shook him back to consciousness as best she could. And through tears, Robert choked out a story describing how he had been poking around the basement uh, when suddenly he was struck from behind as if by some blunt instrument. And he could feel someone seizing his throat. He whirled, uh, he whirled around to face his attacker, uh, but there was no one there. But the strangling sensation continued. Uh, it felt as if someone was attempting to choke the life out of him. He shouted for help, but he couldn't because his throat was so constricted. And this kept on until finally he just, he passed out. Wow. And, and then that's when Mary found him. Uh, now, that was apparently Robert's last paranormal investigation. Uh, no more, no longer a skeptic. Now, while while both investigators had been apprised of the Joshua Ward's uh, haunted reputation, of the, the house's haunted reputation, and that Sheriff Corwin's wrathful spirit uh, was still said to linger, uh, neither were aware that Corwin in life had been nicknamed the Strangler. Mm. It wasn't common knowledge at the time, I suppose. Now, while there is no concrete proof, it's been long suspected that Corwin would haul victims out of the witch dungeon to his private home where he would interrogate and torture them in relative comfort, free to do with them as he pleased, away from superior, the eyes of superiors. Uh, the Spellbound Organization's founder and former head investigator, a woman named Molly Stewart, had her own close encounter in the Joshua Ward house. Molly is apparently a pioneer in the field of electronic voice phenomena, the recording of disembodied spirit voices. But she was doing this before it went digital. So this is analog tape. Oh, EVP. Uh, yeah, EVP. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so Molly, it, I guess she'd conducted two previous trips to the Joshua Ward house and not much came of it. Uh, she'd taken pictures and collected stories from the staff there, and but wasn't able to catch any paranormal evidence herself. But on the third trip, she went in, obviously, not expecting much, and she was alone in the house. This was at night. She had set up audio and uh, video recording devices in many of the dim chambers, hoping that this time she might capture something. And at the close of the investigation, she collected her devices and brought them back to the office. When she played back the tape from the basement, her blood ran cold. A rough voice growled out the phrase, I just want to keep you. Yikes. Fuck a basement. Yeah. Um, I really want that to be on the EVP. Fuck a basement. <laughs> uh, she checked all the surveillance footage and no one had been in the house since she had with her and there was just no evidence that anyone had been there at all. Um, da -da 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 -da. It's so, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like, there's so much to go through and I'm trying to like skim through some of it. Uh, so Molly was convinced that that's the, that was the voice of Corwin perhaps reenacting you know, uh, well, a torture session. Uh, and and it's thought that the lady in black, as she's known, uh, the, the picture was perhaps one of these unsung victims of the witch trial that he perhaps tortured and accidentally killed in the basement. Possibly. I've also heard that with the curse that it has affected all of the sheriffs in Salem since. Like, they'll, they'll a lot of them, <clears throat> if they haven't had heart attacks, it's not necessarily to kill them, but they'll feel a lot of pressure in their chest mm -hmm. at certain times. And... 
they've all had kind of similar experiences. Of course, I don't know how true that is. Either. Well, interestingly, you bring that up. According to the now deceased writer and former sheriff, Robert uh, Cahill, whose books Ghostly Haunts and its follow-up Haunted Happenings are very popular in Salem gift shops, uh, Corwin isn't the only spirit stalking the Joshua Ward house. There's also the Lady in Black, who I spoke mm. of earlier, inadvertently photographed by that realtor back in 1984. Debate rages on concerning her identity, but believers assume she was one of Corwin's unknown victims. Debate also rages concerning the photo's authenticity, however. Now, while Spellbound Tours insists on its website that, quote, our researchers take great pride in their professionalism and ability to weed out hoaxes or natural phenomenon that might create a convincing false image, yet the lady in black picture stands up to all tests. The photograph shows no sign of tampering. The people involved in it uh, uh, are unimpeachable. Involved in its genesis are unimpeachable. Various theories have been thrown, tested, uh, have been have been thoroughly tested, rather, to explain away the lady in uh, black, but none have succeeded. The staunchest skeptics eventually give in and admit it is a spirit, or at the very least, a con it is unexplainable by what, conventional uh, means. When now, was this picture taken? 1984. Now, oh. that's the spellbound She just looks like she has a really really powerful well, perm. According to at least uh, one website that I found called just the Paranormal Guide, there may be a far more mundane explanation. The lady in black pictured is more than likely the female colleague in question standing in front of a wreath on the door and the image simply went awry while processing. Um, have a look for yourself and tell me which vision, which version you see. Uh, it, it just looks like it was a photo of the woman and the way she's standing, she's standing in front of a, the wreath that they were going to put the pictures in that's already hanging on the door that. behind her. Yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't look like a ghost anymore to me. It, it just looks like a picture of down I mean, uh -huh. at her shoulders. And so it's like, if her haircut was that specific to go down, like to have a big perm that was sculpted to go down, why is it all crazy at the top? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And why and and clearly she went. So it just looks like a badly developed picture well, of a person. Yeah. I think it just a lot just was made like of it because it was good publicity. Yeah. Um, all the same, former employees of the Joshua Ward House tell of otherworldly encounters after hours with the dark lady. They tell of a shadowy figure gliding down the hall, caught out of the corner of their eye, and they shake it off. Moments later, they look up again from their desk only to see the lady in black in all her hideous glory glowering at them not feet away. Uh, and while the Joshua Ward House is undoubtedly lovely, visitors unaware of its history report feeling ill at ease while on tour, hemmed in by, quote, quote, gloom and sadness like the house wants to convey to them its dark secrets. <laughs> now, while formerly occupied by a publishing company quite amenable to ghost hunters, the Joshua Ward House is now a boutique hotel that is none too eager, it seems, to explore the otherworldly. So uh, it no longer allows ghost tours to come through or her paranormal mm -hmm. investigations. Um, so... Let's debunk some of this. Okay. Uh, or get into sort of the specific history. So, uh, da, 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 da. 25 year old George Corwin was the high sheriff during the witchcraft trials of 1692. Um, this was an important position, and it was probably obtained through nepotism, as we discussed. But in his role, he escorted the condemned by cart from the prison to the execution site at Proctor's Ledge uh, on Gallows Hill. As required by law, Corwin would also confiscate the property of condemned prisoners, not land, but belongings such as livestock, hay, apples, corn, and household goods, like kettles, pewter furniture, and uh, pewter and furniture, stuff like that, and jewelry. It's a common misconception that witchcraft accusations were part of a deliberate attempt to gain the land of neighbors or fellow community members, and that may have been the the 
motivations for people, but it seems they simply misunderstood the law of their own time. At this time, English law allowed the seizure of a felon's possessions, but this did not extend to their real estate. The worldly possessions of the married women who were convicted were considered the property of their husbands. As such, there was nothing to confiscate from the condemned married women, but the possessions of the condemned men and widows were allowed to be were allowed to be confiscated. Uh, these until domestic December, goods, until when yeah, they changed that law. Exactly. These domestic goods were supposed to be inventoried and stored to help pay the felon's jail costs, as, as you discussed uh, in the last episode, and support the families. However, uh, it is known that Sheriff Corwin sold off some of John Proctor's livestock and slaughtered and salted the rest for shipping to the West Indies. Within uh, his duties as High Sheriff, George Corwin also oversaw the gruesome death of Giles Corey. After refusing to comply with court procedure, Giles Corey was condemned uh, to pressing. This extreme measure entailed laying the 81-year-old, 81, it's this, this one site said 81 years old, but I think that's wrong. I think he was 71, uh, on his back and pinning him and under heavy and heavy stone weights. Uh, according to some reports, when Corey's tongue lolled out of his mouth as a result of the weight on his chest, Corwin callously used his walking stick to poke it back in. A disturbing image, of course. Now, given the shocking nature of his demise, as time has gone on, legend has grown surrounding Corey's death. The tale claims that his last breath, that in his last breath, Giles Corey cursed Sheriff Corwin and the town of Salem. But there's no evidence to suggest that Corey ever uttered these words or would have been able to. Uh, mm -hmm. But this has become a popular legend surrounding the sheriff. Another myth surrounding George Corwin involves Philip English, the wealthiest merchant in Salem, who, along with his wife Mary, was accused of witchcraft. Now, English's wealth was such that he was able to flee to New York City, where he remained until the witchcraft accusations blew over. Upon his return to Salem, he discovered that George Corwin, along with some of English's own neighbors, had confiscated his belongings from his home, his warehouses, wharves, and shop. He owned a lot of shit. Furious at the degradation of his life's work, English sued Corwin repeatedly for years in an effort to regain his property. Ultimately, Corwin died before English had obtained any satisfaction from his legal efforts. In a wild and desperate measure, English went so far as to threaten to steal Corwin's corpse and hold it for ransom until his family could make good on what he was owed. While most scholars believe this theft did not actually happen, legend grew. This tale is often retold, claiming that English did snatch the body or that Corwin was buried in his own basement for years for fear he would be stolen from his grave. In truth, Corwin was in fact interred uh, in the Broad Street Cemetery. Now, Philip English represented everything the villagers of Salem distrusted. He was wealthy, he, he spoke French, he was an Anglican who lived lavishly and uh, tied up the local courts with land disputes for fucking years. He, loved, he was a very litigious man. He immigrated to Massachusetts sometime in 1670 from the Isle of Jersey, changing his name from Philippe Langlois and marrying Mary Hollingsworth in 17, uh, so 1675. So he was like, I need to sound more English. I know what I'm going to call <laughs> English, myself. English, <laughs> Langlois, a wealthy merchant's daughter. Now, um, by 1692, Philip English was one of the wealthiest fishing and shipping merchants in Salem. He owned a wharf and warehouse, 14 buildings, and 21 seagoing vessels. In the spring of 1682, he was elected to town selectman. His wealth and rising prominence probably made him a target for Corwin, who seized the property of accused witches and divided the spoils with his deputies. On April 18th, shortly before midnight, Corwin and his deputies entered Mary's bedchamber and his wife and uh, demanded she come with them. She refused and told him to return in the morning. Corwin agreed, leaving <laughs> his deputies to guard the house. The next morning after breakfast, Mary English allowed the deputies to take her and hold her in the second floor of a tavern near the meeting house. Three days later, she appeared before a large crowd to answer a complaint of witchcraft. 
We no longer know the ground of those accusations, as the records are now lost, but similar accusations have been roaring across Salem since February, of course. And by the time the witch trials began in earnest uh, in May, Mary had been transferred to Boston which was a far safer place to be at the time. Yeah. And Philip English criticized the Salem magistrates for his wife's arrest, only and which only cemented his status as an undesirable. On April 24th, Susanna Sheldon claimed he pinched her during church service and commanded her to touch his, quote, devil's book, lest he kill her on the spot. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> you better touch my devil's book. You know what I'm saying? That was his euphemism for Nathaniel Wheel. Um, <laughs> Sheldon, which was a euphemism for Dirk. Uh, well, for me. Sheldon <laughs> filed complaints against 23 other people, too, as well. So, so people were like, Really? <laughs> really, Susanna? Who else is a witch? Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> but emboldened by Sheldon's claims, others came out against English as well, mm -hmm. including one William Beale, who'd been tangled up in a lawsuit with him for two years. Uh, Beale claimed <laughs> English's witchcraft caused his nose to bleed when he was discussing the lawsuit with a friend. On April 30th, the Salem magistrates issued an arrest warrant for Philip English, but he'd been tipped off and hid in a secret room. He then fled to Boston, hoping to free his wife. Officers came looking for him on May 6th. Sixth, searched the home of George Holland, a business associate of English who lived at the edge of Boston's North End. English was there, hiding behind a stack of dirty laundry, the one place they didn't look. <laughs> Eventually, English realized his absence hurt Mary's case, so he gave himself up. Magistrates examined him on May 31st and ordered him sent to jail to ba in Boston to join his wife, a privilege allowed him because of his wealth. Every morning, the jailer freed uh, the couple after they promised to return at night. <laughs> it's like it's like a Martha Stewart prison. Mm. Uh, according to family lore, a minister named Joshua Moody persuaded them to flee. He arranged for a carriage to take them to New York, where they could wait out the witchcraft hysteria. Mary and Philip English reluctantly took this man's advice, leaving all their children but one, a daughter, behind with trusted friends. In New York, the English just kept track of uh, the witchcraft trial when they learned of the food of a food shortage in Salem, Philip English sent a boatload of corn to the poor in the afflicted town. Oh wow. Nice guy. Uh by 1693, the witchcraft hysteria died down and Philip and Mary English returned to Salem. There they found George Corwin and others had pillaged their buildings and vessels. Mary died the next year while giving birth to a son. Philip returned to his shipping business and pursued claims against Corwin for the property that had been taken from him. Corwin died of a heart attack in 1696 at the age of 30. Philip English demanded pay repayment. Corwin's family ignored English and proceeded to bury him. As Corwin's mourners wound their way to the graveyard, English stepped in the road and ordered them to stop, a volley of hired men backing him up. English <laughs> took possession of Corwin's body. Several days later, the Corwins repaid English in silver and jewels, and they got the late sheriff's body back. So and is that part real? That part is real. <gasps> oh, how funny. Yeah, that part is real. So, colorful story, but he was never, there's no evidence whatsoever that he actually was allowed to torture anyone in his basement. It seems to me like he probably wouldn't have been because he was high sheriff, but there were magistrates there in town too. Right. And they would not, Yeah, I can't imagine they would have been like, yeah, just go. Well, they don't want to take the fun away from them. They want to. Yeah, well, well they wanted to all like... be above board and no one trusted anyone. I just, it seems unlikely. At any rate, there's no evidence. I think Corwin's role in the witchcraft, I mean, he was a son of a bitch for what he did do and what we know he did do. Mm -hmm. But I think that made it easy for people to believe that he probably tortured them too yeah. in that basement. And it also makes the Joshua Ward house just sound much more haunted than it really is. Yeah. But I think the lady in black was just a, 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 a picture gone wrong. Um, yeah, the picture. Of someone I think standing is in front of that. a wreath. And that I think, doesn't mean that people haven't seen something in there. <laughs> 
but there's no record of them saying of anyone saying they saw a woman in black until oh. after that picture got published. Oh, okay. um, at least that I could find. So, and again, where did she come from? If you know, who yeah. knows? But. Either way, Corwin did live on the site that that house is built in. Because also, mm-hmm. it's important to remember, that house is not where he lived. It's, not it's the just same house. built on the site. It's the same cellar, I believe. Right. But it's not the same house it's like at the all. Foundation. Yeah, it's the same foundation. Uh, and the and I think the cellar. But even the cellar may not be the same. I think it's just kind of in the general area. Like that dirt it may just is be on the on same property. place. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? But it's. It's considered one of the most haunted houses, I think, because it was the house of the executioner, the sheriff. Right. Uh, you know, that that was basically the, the sheriff of Nottingham, if you will. Right. So it's fascinating stuff. But yeah. I kind of, I'd like the, the true story is interesting. I and I and I like yeah. the story of Philip English. Well, because then now we can find out that that actually did happen. And, yeah. you yeah. know, I love the idea that he sent food just because, number one, it's a good thing to do. But then, you know, there's a part of me he's like, oh, this is really going to piss him off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Hey. Do I send them something they need? Yeah, we're going to send them something we need. Hey, compliments of that fugitive. Right. Uh, well, and it's interesting, too, that it wasn't the land. Because I've heard also that with Giles Corey, they would take the land from him and split it up. But it was really the property. It's really, It was really property. And I guess the land, I mean, and there are bound to have been ways. That article, I think, was maybe a little too simplistic. I think there are bound to have been legal ways to divvy up the land mm-hmm. after the fact. I just don't think you could take it. Well, especially if there was nobody. While they were alive. Left. Yeah. Um, because it had to go to relatives or whatever. Yeah, or, and Giles or, had a lot of land. Yeah, and tons. And so did John Proctor. So mm-hmm. it's like the 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 two he, couples. He had a ledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're the two couples who both of the couples were charged mm-hmm. were um, both very wealthy individuals. Yeah. And so if they were confiscating their property, and I mean. If, if you could have the land or the cattle and all of the accoutrement that goes with a farm mm-hmm. that the proctors would have had, that's a lot of... That's enough. That's, that's a enough, lot of money. That's enough wealth to buy the land outright Absolutely. once the owner is deceased. Right, right. Uh, and so. if, the, if the state is going to, quote, sell it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but... So, yeah, yeah. It's, it was still about land. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't that land straight. And property. It just wasn't as straightforward to right. get the land. But the property, yeah, they, all that shit. You can take mm-hmm. whatever you want from 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 the land. Yeah. So crazy. It is. I think well, I this turned like out to be a it. much more lighthearted episode than it last week. So I'm glad we needed it. So much shorter. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So Thursday is Halloween. Thursday. And we this are doing Halloween. This our is Halloween. Twitch live stream uh, of hundred yeah. candles. Um, check online and and um, for times and location, but it's just Twitch for times and locations. Times and locations. <laughs> It'll be wherever you watch it. That's the location, <laughs> and the time will be whatever time we do it. Um, for the time and like where you can watch it. So it's Twitch. Right. It's actually just Twitch.tv. Google intentions, I think, is what the yeah, thing is. Yeah. But um, that's what it's the same place we did our live stream for the Borderlands three. Yay. gameplay so this will be an october stream and we have something coming up for november as well Ooh, it's yeah, exciting. I'm so, so uh definitely check that out come join us for halloween for sure we'll also have a ghosticles episode on halloween too yeah. so we'll totally be dressed up in costume you just can't see it I'll be, uh, was the line that Wednesday Adams gives in, in the, the 90s Adams movie where she's like, I'm a psychopath. We look like everyone else. Yes. <laughs> but normally, though, the dress code for 
um, ghost story night is pajamas. Pajamas. Yeah. I will pajamas come dressed. I will come dressed in really nice. I've got some pajamas with skulls on them. Ooh, I like it. I'm very excited to show you. I like it. <sighs> but anyway, well, thank you, everyone, for listening thank to you, our Salem you, extravaganza. You. Have a fun and happy Halloween. Yes. Be safe. Be smart. Be scared. Be spirited. <laughs> <laughs> we just made a t-shirt. We didn't even mean we to. We did. And nice. we're sorry. We're so sorry about that. Um, we hope that you enjoyed Michael's reading of The Raven. <laughs> that was our little <laughs> Halloween gift to y'all. Excuse uh, my semen. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> pardon, pardon. So, um, but yeah, check all those things out. Uh, if you have any, again, we've said this last time too. If you have any stories from Salem, mm-hmm. personal stories, please, please let us know. Send them into us. We would love to read them. Um, if you are related to a witch from Salem, let us know. Um, we want to know all of the, all the, all your juice, your witch juice. Story. And if you know this Edgar Poe guy, uh, tell him to send in more stuff. I know we really like him. Yeah, it's really and, good. Well written. Yeah, and remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on. Nevermore. Nevermore. On the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the semen. <laughs> Whoa! I didn't remember that part. <laughs> this is the unabridged room. Uh, <laughs> it's a new new manuscript uh, was unearthed in Baltimore just a few years ago. <laughs> God damn it! I made it through the, mostly the whole fucking thing without laughing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fuck! That's an outtake. Oh, please just hold on to that. Mm. Oh God! Take that out, Matt, but give it back to us, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna, I'm gonna start with "and the Raven never flitting." Okay, just uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to leave the room so I can do this. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. You did. You're oh, doing I great. I got through a whole reading without thinking of semen. semen. <laughs> you almost made ten minutes without thinking of semen. I'm oh so no, I was thinking it. I just didn't say <laughs> without it without slipping on mm. semen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Save it. Save it. Okay, Maka. sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm, mm, mm. <sighs> uh, I can't I can't now. I'm done. I'm done. It just the poem now ends. It quote the raven nevermore. Okay, go. Okay. And the raven never flitting. <laughs>